Well, good morning, Heights family. Good to see everybody here on this wonderful spring winter day, huh? My goodness, what is that out there? You know, it's a beautiful spring day if you're inside, right? If you're looking out through a window, it's a whole other thing when you go outside. But uh, it is the day that we are going to talk about love. Isn't that wonderful? Love such a, a wonderful thing. One song says it's a many splendid thing. I think you have to be pretty old to know that song. And, and another song just says it stinks. So somewhere in there, you know, there is love. I don't guess there's anything that has moved more hands to write poetry and more hearts to song than the, than the emotion, than the experience of love. It is such a great desire, such a great passion of our lives to both love and to be loved. But I think because it's such a great desire, because it's such a great passion, I think in that is also what kind of lays us open to get hurt the most and, and to experience some of Sometimes life's worst disappointments. As a matter of fact, I think it's led a lot of people in our culture today to kind of wonder if marriage and family really gives anybody a better shot at love. I mean, they look into the home and what they see is the source of their hurt. They see the source of their disappointment. So why do it? Why get all up into the legal bonds, the messy bonds of, of marriage and family when it may not be any greater shot at, at experiencing love than, than not going that route? Well, of course, I would, I would probably answer that and say, hey, it's, it's not marriage and family that has failed us, but rather it's our inability or our, our failure at understanding what the purpose of marriage and family is. You know, last week we, we kind of introduced this idea that the home and, and the people in it, that that's a primary instrument. That is a primary set of relationships where we're going to learn about God. We're going to learn what God is like. And here's the big, big thing, become like God. We're going to grow into acting like God and being like God with that set of people. Now, I need to be holy. I need to be like God with all the people in the world. But the home is where I'm kind of forced to practice it day in and day out. And last week, we kind of looked at it big picture. We used the word holy. I'm to grow in holiness, and and my home is where I practice that. Today, we're going to bring that down a little bit and get a little more specifically and look at the word love. And in the home, the purpose of the home is to learn what God's love is like and practice that love, teach that love. See, there's a difference between saying, I expect love from the home and saying, I know the purpose of the home is for me to practice that love. There's a big difference. You know, one of the real evidences that God's even in our life is how we show love. As a matter of fact, Galatians chapter 5, you know, might know this verse as the fruit of the Spirit. It's called that because it says fruit of the Spirit, right? But uh, it says there, but the fruit of the Spirit, which means the product of the Spirit, the result of the Spirit being in my life, the result of the, the Spirit having control of my life, what it's going to produce, what it's going to affect in my life and in my relationships is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
against such things. There's no law. Nobody's against these things. Now, what we see in this verse is nine words, nine ideas of things that happen when the Spirit's in control of our life. And notice that it says fruit of the Spirit, not fruits. Now, fruit can kind of be used plural even without an S, but there is a singular feel there in the grammar. And so you think, why is it singular when there's nine different words? And, And I think it's important to think through that. I I think one reason there's a singular idea there is so that you and I don't look at the nine things and go, okay, I've got, got a little bit of number two and some of four and five. Uh, six is never going to happen. Nine. You you know, don't, don't you do that when you look at that list? We tend to look at it and say, yes, no, not so much. That's not how the list works. If the spirit has control of my life, these are the nine things that are produced. Not that I pick and choose which nine things are going to be produced. All nine are produced. I think another reason there's kind of a singular approach to these nine words is while they are nine very separate things, each of those words has its, its own definition, its own meaning, its own quality, they really are kind of interrelated. I mean, can you, have, can you be loving but not be kind? Can you be self-controlled but not have patience? Can you have joy but not have peace? You see how interrelated they are? So when you look at the nine words, you start pulling one or two out and pretty soon the whole thing crumbles. You pull one or two out and all of a sudden none of them are, are actually there anymore. But another reason I kind of started looking at this, these nine words and this kind of singular approach is I wonder, is there really one word there that's kind of guiding all of them? Now, let me say as I say that, grammatically speaking, the answer is no, okay? I'm about to interpret the passage in a way that grammatically it's not what it says. I'm really going to another passage to get this idea. For we saw that, we see here that love love, joy, peace, patience. But if I go to 1 Corinthians 13, which is, some of you might know the love passage, right? We hear it read at weddings. You know, it describes what love is. And it says, love is patient. And love is kind. And so I started thinking about that passage and looking at these nine things and kind of wondering, okay, maybe is there really one word here? The fruit The product of the Spirit's control in my life is love. I will be a loving person. And that will show itself in joy, in peace, in gentleness, in self-control. It will show itself in these other ways. And so I kind of looked at love there kind of really being the the, the definer. And, And so if you take that lesson, if you take the lesson of this verse, and you combine it to what we saw last week then we would say, hey, there there again, there's a purpose of the home. There's a purpose of the gathering of these relationships. Is that's a place where I can learn what God's love is like and practice being like that. Practice loving like that. And there's never going to be a law against that, is there? Did you notice how that that phrase says, it, it ended by saying, against such things there is no law? It doesn't matter what religion you come from or no religion. It doesn't matter whether you're young or old or you're from this century or that century or this side of the world or that. Hey, anybody, anywhere, everywhere looks at those nine things, those nine things and says, yeah, that'd be better. Yeah, yeah, that really would make relation. I mean, there's nobody saying, you know, I think that, I think that gentleness thing is going to kill you. 
You know, if you're patient, that's going to ruin everything. No, no, nobody's looking at those things saying, hey, those are the things that are wrong about life. Those are the things that are wrong about a relationship. In other words, folks, what God is wanting to produce in us is what everybody recognizes is what is good and right. It's what makes relationships work. Now, let me back up out of the list of nine for a second and, and give some maybe some more emphasis on why I see love as kind of being this, the central there, the central drive. Now, I could take you to hundreds and hundreds of verses, literally, in the Old and New Testament about, about love, God's love, the love we're to have for one another, all the commands. But I just want to show you three verses real quick, just kind of see how big love is in our knowing God, believing God, following God. Deuteronomy chapter 6, let me start there. This passage to an, to an Old Testament Jew would be kind of like what John 3.16 is for you and I. I mean, we may not even know what John 3.16 says right at the moment, but we hold it up at football games, right? I mean, that, that verse just kind of seems to, I mean, we didn't vote on it. Nobody polled it, but it just kind of became the verse that represents Christianity. Well, the way a Christian might look at John 3.16, that's how a Jew would have looked at Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7. They had a name for this verse. It was called the Great Shema. Shema is a Hebrew word that means hear. Kind of a strange name for a verse, isn't it? The Great Hear. In other words, it's the great first word of the verse. <laughs> but what this, what this verse was is their most important command, their big verse. They served God in a polytheistic world, in a world where there was lots and lots and lots of gods. And right away you see something about the theology, what they believe about their God, and their primary response in relating with that God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk about them when you sit in your house. Hey, do you remember what we saw last week? Remember the big verse we saw last week, Leviticus 19.2? Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Big verse, right? Big one. That, that's one of the big ones. I'm to be like God. And do you remember the next sentence after that verse? It took us right into the home. Look, here we are again. Another clearly big verse. I mean, all commands are important. They're all to be obeyed. But some just seem to rise up as, hey, that's one of the big ones. Here's the big one in the Jew's mind. And what follows it? It takes us right into the home. Every time we see something really big, it seems like it carries us into the home. And again, I'm showing that trying to build. Hey, the purpose of the home is, is, is that I'm learning about God and how to live like God and how to be like God. And we see the, a big explanation of who he is, how we're to relate with him. And oh, by the way, you're going to live this out in your house. I'm going to live it out everywhere, but in the house, that's where we're going to practice it. That's where we're going to kind of unwrap it and understand it. Jesus repeats this. This next verse is not introducing another verse as much as just showing you. In the New Testament, when somebody walked up to Jesus and said, Hey, Jesus, what's the most important verse in the Bible? What did Jesus say? He just responded to what we just heard. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. A second is like it. You shall love your your neighbor as yourself. Now let me go to one more verse. It's a small one, probably not one we a lot of us would have in our list of memory verses because we do all have a list of memory verses, right? Praise the Lord, I knew we did. Okay. 
So this one, I know maybe you know this, maybe you don't. I would consider this hugely profound, very, very important. Think of all, listen to all that is being said in this verse. Beloved. Now, beloved, that's church family. That's Christians. When John says beloved, he's not talking to the world. It's not that the world can't learn anything from this. It's just that his audience is, is you and me. It's the congregation. It's the church gathered. Beloved, let us love one another. Eleven times the New Testament says that. Eleven times we are commanded to love one another. Kind of like we're to work out love inside our, our physical family. Well, yeah, we're going to work out this love in our spiritual family also. Beloved, let us love one another. Hey, John, why is that such a big deal? Because, man, love is from God. And, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Now, you know what? I read that and my first thought is, now, wait a minute. I, I know people who I think are loving that aren't believers, don't you? Do you know somebody, that's, that's, a, loving, that's a loving person. I don't think they're a Christian. I don't think they believe in God, but they're, they love people. You don't have to know God to, to love people. But this verse didn't say, if you know God, you'll love somebody. And, and you'll have some people around you that will describe you as loving. Folks, what we're going to be introduced to here is that, I mean, we could go to verses that talk about you are to, you, you are to love enemies, right? Doesn't Jesus say love your enemies? We're to love enemies. We're to love strangers. He just told us a second ago. We're to love our neighbors, right? And, and we know we're supposed to love our family. And now this verse, we're supposed to love other Christians. Man, the arenas are all over the place of where I am. I am to love people. This verse is saying, if I've been born of God, I love in all of those arenas. I'm not just loving those who love me. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, if you love those who love you, big whoop-de-doo. He said, you don't need to believe in God to love people who love you. You have accomplished nothing loving somebody who loves you back. All that is is two sinners that have agreed, if you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. No, to really love and to go beyond a circle of people, to love in all those arenas, that shows you've been born of God. Now, now folks, I don't know about you, but I want to be born of God, right? <laughs> I want that to be true in my life. This isn't a description of the super saints. This isn't a description of the top 3% in the church world. This, this is saying, hey, listen, if you count yourself a believer, you count yourself a follower of God, born again, then you love. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God, and anyone who does not Anyone who cannot be described like that, who's not loving in all these arenas, that person doesn't know God because, look at this, because God is love. Say, well, what's God doing in my life? I hope he's making me rich. What God, what's God doing in my life? I hope he's healing me. What God's doing in my life? I hope he's getting rid of that horrible person. You wonder what God's doing in your life? He's trying to teach you to love. God is love. Notice it does not say God is loving. Do you realize if it said God is loving, that would make love bigger and more important than God. It would actually make love God. Because love would be the standard. Love would be the big definition. And then we would say, and look at God, come along and perfectly meet the definition. Look at God, come along and perfectly meet the standard. God's not meeting the standard. God is the standard. God's not a good illustration of love. He is love. If you want to know what love is, you look at God. 
This is what God is. This is what he does. So you want to know what he's doing in your life? He's teaching you to love. I mean, this verse really ups the ante, doesn't it? On this whole, you know, I mean, good gracious, going to church and being told you need to be a loving person, boy, that's, that's unique, isn't it? And yeah, that's what we do. We go to church, be a loving person. Yeah, I know. I'm going to work on that, I think. You know? No, this is a whole lot more than go to church and be told to be a loving person. Folks, this is who God is. This is what he's doing. And this really should add a lot of definition now to what I kind of started saying last week. I'm going to repeat several times this morning. The purpose of the home is not for you to be loved. Sounds horrible. That sounds wrong and backward. The purpose of the home is not that you have a place to go and be loved. The purpose of the home is that you have a place to go, a place you're trapped, to learn to love like God. Now, I know everything in us screams in a way, but this doesn't make any sense. Of course I'm supposed to be loved when I go home. Yes, you are. I mean, if everybody in there is doing what God wants them to do, right, then I'm going to be the, the recipient of love. But do you understand how incredibly different it is to enter that front door or back door most of the time, right? When I enter that door, if I'm entering that door thinking, now I'm entering this door for one reason, that I experience love. See, that's a very different, might be a right and good expectation, but that's different from the purpose being, I'm entering this door to learn to love like God loves. That's, that's, that's a huge difference. As a matter of fact, we stop showing love because we're not getting it. See, that's when we've got the purpose out of it. If my purpose is to be loved and you're not loving me, then you just broke the deal. You broke the contract. You're messing things up. Therefore, I'm obligated to do nothing. I'm not obligated to love you, but not anymore. Not, see, if that's my purpose. But see, if my purpose is to love, regardless of what you're doing, then nothing changes in my purpose, whether you're being loving or not, which now we understand, hey, you know what? When somebody's not being loving back, that might be your very best opportunity to understand what God's love is like and how to exercise that. Let me ask you a question. You think God knows what it's like to love and not be loved back? I'm guessing he does. You know how I know? Because he loves you. You're supposed to kind of laugh, right? Yeah, but it's an uncomfortable laugh. Yeah, God knows what it's like to love and not be loved back because he loves you. And he's loved you perfectly. He's never failed you in any way. And yet you have mocked him. And yet you've acted embarrassed to even let somebody know that you even know him you've done things that hurt him you've done things that are antagonistic to who he is and to what he's like don't feel too bad about yourself so is everybody sitting next to you and me too yeah he's loved us perfectly and we haven't loved him back well now wait a minute if my if my purpose if my goal in life is to understand God to understand what his love is like and to love like that then while I don't have to want to not be loved back I also don't have to act shocked and run from it in avoidance I think hey here's here's my opportunity here's the point this is why God put me in a family to love when I'm not being loved back so see, folks, this really is a big driving thing about who God is and how we relate. Again, the goal is to get outside of the home and start doing this with enemies and strangers. And 
How in the world am I going to love an enemy if I can't even love inside my home? How in the world am I going to love like God wants me to love out in the world if I can't even begin to practice that in my home? So that's what I got to do, right? I've got to start. I've got to start figuring out how to practice this in my home. So I start thinking, okay, love is love is patient. Okay, well, what does patience look like? And boy, I need to practice that this week. Okay, love is kind. What does kindness look like? And and how do I practice that? And and love is faithful. Okay, what does faithfulness look like? And and how do I practice that? Now the reason I keep saying what is faithfulness, what is what does it look like? Is because, folks, we're not actually supposed to dream this up in our mind. We need to go to God's Word. Now, this implies that we're students of God's Word, right? But that I go to God's Word and I start looking and saying, Hey, where does it show me God being kind? And what was He doing? When God's being patient, what's He doing? What's He not doing? When God's being faithful, when the Scripture says, Look at the faithfulness of God, what's the next line? What was God doing that it described Him as faithful? You know, it was kind of interesting. I was working on this message this week. I was in another passage unrelated to this message. I was just in my prayer time in the morning, and it was showing me God being faithful. And in that place, in that passage, God being faithful was God doing the right thing even though others weren't. Oh, that's what God being faithful means. Oh, so like in my home, a way I love them is I do the right thing in this relationship, whether they're doing it or not. Well, that stinks. <laughs> oh, but that's, that's what I'm supposed to be working at. Oh, faithfulness, I see in Scripture, means God doesn't quit. I don't quit on this family member. I don't quit on this pr- person. I don't quit on this assignment. How about this one? Faithfulness is loyal, isn't it? The scripture shows me God being loyal. Do you know what, folks? God never gets over in the hallway with the angels and says, man, I got to tell you something about my mate. What a joke. That's not loyal. We do it, though. You ever hear a joke about family when you're at work, at school? Maybe it's family in general. Maybe it's specifically their mate. Maybe it's one of their... You know, we tell these, "That's that's not loyal. God never does that to me. God never makes me the butt of his joke. No, no, that's, he's loyal. So see, now all of a sudden, okay, God being faithful, well, that really starts to shape, and then that's how I need to love in my home and, and with my family. Wouldn't it be nice if we had a nice, clean, sterile environment to always work on this? You know, last week I said that the home is like a lab where we practice and work these things out. I got to think about that more. That's not right at all. A lab has a laboratorian. Is that right? Is it a laboratorian or is that a dog? A labratician? A labradoodle? Okay, you know the person who runs the lab, right? Okay, when they go in there, nothing gets messed up unless that person messes it up. The heat doesn't go up unless they turn the heat up. Nothing's moved unless they move it. See, in a lab, everything's being moved for a purpose. But in the home, that's, that's not a, I'm not in control, Right? I mean, folks, when do you work on your patience? Usually when somebody in your family has firmly planted themselves on your last nerve, and it's yay short. You know, when, when, when do you practice self-control? When somebody or the entire environment is out of control. Yet you see, what happens is a lot of times we have limited ourselves to practicing love when we're going into it almost two strikes against us. Does that make sense? When am I thinking about patience? When I've just about lost it. Okay, well, yeah, that is the time to think about it. But 
dang, I'm hardly giving myself a chance at victory here, am I? You know what we need to do? We've got to get out in front of practicing our love. We can't wait till something explodes in the lab lab, and then go, oh, ah, what, what does the scripture say? What am I supposed to work on right now? Now, what if I were to start like choosing what I was going to work on each week with each person in my family? Let, let's get a plan when we're in control of ourselves to work on that love. Let me show you what that looks like. I want to give you five quick points. And I'm really, I'm giving you one point that has four comments, okay? So here, here's the first point. This is how we're going to love our family, how we're going to practice this each week. So I'm going to read Galatians 5, 22, 23 every Sunday night. Now, the, the real operative thing there is not, I'm going to read it. Okay, what, what I'm saying there is we need to get those nine words in front of us, right? I've got to get love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I need, to, I need to get those nine words in front of me, okay? And then I need to make a list of each person in my family. And then I need to ask the Holy Spirit, okay, which of these words needs to go with which of these people this week? How, how do I practice this? Let, let, me, let me show you the next slide. This next slide is not point number two. It's kind of number one expanded. So I'm going to pray, hey, by the power of the Spirit. And you know what? We really do need to pray that. If you're trying to gut up love out of yourself, it's, just, it's not going to go very far. The, the goal is not, not to see how good you can do at this. The goal is to see what the Holy Spirit can produce in me, right? I want to see what, what the result of him being in. I, listen, I know what the result of me being in control is, and that's mostly a mess. Okay, so I want to see Holy Spirit. I want to see you producing fruit. I want to see you in control. So I'm praying, hey, Holy Spirit, I'd really like you to produce your love in me this week for my, and then I list my family. I got the nine things across the top here and I start thinking, okay, what does my mate need? Okay, and maybe the way I would pray through that or think through that, maybe I would think of, what's my mate been through the past week? What's my mate got going on in the coming week? Or maybe I would think, is there a place where my love has kind of failed my mate? Where I really haven't loved them very well? So maybe, I don't know, I think through some questions like that. Just what's going on, what's been going on. And I think, well, you know what my mate needs? They need to see me love by showing gentleness. By gentleness. And I think about child number one. Boy, child number one. Man, it sure seems like a whole lot of our conversations have just been right on the verge of out of control. You know what I'm talking about with a child? Like that? You know, just voices are always almost elevated and tension's really there and everybody's just on edge when we're, boy, Lord, I don't want to relate with that child that way. Lord, Holy Spirit, would you produce in me that control? Could I bring some order, some, watch this, some peace? Hey, peace is one of the fruits. See how they all work together? Where there's order, where there's control, there's, there's peace God, would you help me, Holy Spirit, would you help me love the child in that way? Maybe child number two, I think about, boy, that, boy, they just are carrying the weight of the world in their life right now. They're just not having a lot of fun, Lord. There's just so much heaviness, seriousness. God, would you help me to love in a way this week where, where there's some joy? Then I think about parent number one. Now, parent number one, parent number two. Okay, now we, this starts where it gets a little bit different. Okay, this looks a little bit different if you're in here right now and you're nine. And it looks a little bit different if you're 49, right? But shouldn't both the nine-year-old and the 49-year-old be praying this? You see, when we say our home, yes, 
nine times out of ten in this series, I'm talking about the physical address. I'm talking about the people under one roof. But what we saw last week, we literally saw you, your son, and your son's sons. We saw that this entire family structure was to be dedicated to producing in me holiness, to giving me a place to practice love. So I do need to stretch a little bit beyond the address and I need to think about, hey, Holy Spirit, how do you want me to love my parents? And, and then, of course, now that I'm you know, at my age, okay, then now also we're talking about grandparent and, and grandchildren. Now, obviously, this all looks a little bit different if the parent, if the grandparent lives in the house or if they're three streets over or if they're five states away. But I'm, I'm guessing the Holy Spirit wants me to pray about that, wouldn't you? I'm guessing the Holy Spirit wants me to love my parents, wants me to look to Him to produce in me the kind of love that He produces when He's in control. And so I fill this out each week, and now I've got a way to start, right? I'm not going to wait till I'm out of patience. I'm not going to wait till I'm out of control. Now I've got a way to start the week. And I, I, I said, um, uh, I think on the other one on Sunday night... I, Sunday night, just because, you know, the week's out in front of you. You can do this any day of the week you want. But the goal is, is to get something out in front of you that says, hey, here's how I'm going to work on loving in the week ahead. Okay, now let's see a couple of comments about this. Number two, ask the Holy Spirit, look to the Bible for how God shows that kind of love. Now, I've already been talking about that in this series, I mean, in this message this morning, right? We've been saying, hey, listen, I'm going to go to Scripture and find out what is gentleness, what is faithfulness, what is love, what does it look like in Scripture? Number three, go to work. By the way, next week's message is going to be really heavy on application. Really heavy on doing something. Because I, I feel like so often in, in, in the Christian life, we have, we have reduced the Christian life to content dump. You know, we just get data. We come to church and we get data. And we, we agree or we disagree and we go home. But whether agree or disagree, we don't do anything. We don't, we don't change anything. No, folks, the, the goal here is to do something, Right? It's, it's to act on what we've decided, what we've been led to in prayer. So I've, I've got this list of how I'm going to love my family. I'm going to do it. I mean, I'm looking Monday morning. I'm looking for how right away can I start loving like this, acting like this in each of these members of my family's lives. And, and by some miracle of God, if I get to Monday afternoon and I've completed the whole list, and that would be a miracle, wouldn't it? Loved everybody in the family by Monday afternoon just like God would. Okay, you know what you do now? Repeat. You see, my inner tendency is to check stuff off. Okay, loved her, loved him, loved her. Woo, praise the Lord, I am done loving for the week. Golly, that almost stung a little bit. Hey, let me ask you a question. Would you want God to come to Monday afternoon on you and say, well, I loved him today, I loved her today, checking that off, I'll see you next week. And I don't know about you, I want God loving me 24-7. Right? I want God thinking about the best way to love me every single moment. Well, wait a minute. If I'm learning about God's love and trying to exercise and do that, then wouldn't that be the way I'd be thinking about my family? How can I love them like God loves them every single moment? It's not once and check it off. It becomes a way of life. And that's what 1 John 4, 8 was talking about. Okay, number four. Don't be shocked if something right off the bat makes you want to quit. I should rewrite this and say, I promise you something right off the bat is going to make you want to quit. Do you know why I can promise you that? Because you have an enemy. And it's not your mate. 
It's not your child. It's not the parent. It's not the grandparent. It's Satan. Satan wants your home. Listen, we're going to do, it. by the way, a, a series on Satan this summer. We're going, we're going to study him a little bit in, in the sermon series this summer. But he is not God. He's not like God. He's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere. His demons cannot be everywhere. They're in one spot. So they have to think strategically how they want to try to mess things up. The single most strategic thing Satan can do is hit the home. When he hits the home, he can literally brush off his hands and say, I'll check back in about 20 years. I'm pretty sure y'all can mess things up from here on out. All he's got to do is lay down one act, lay down one failure, lay down one disaster. And a lot of times he can walk away and you and I will pick up the hurt, we'll pick up the disappointment, we'll pick up the anger, we'll pick up the skepticism and we'll carry it from there for the rest of our lives. I mean, literally, Satan can strike one day in the home and not mess with us for the rest of our lives. We'll take it from here. So he's going to work at getting your home. That's what he wants. So when you move to try to actually get in line with what God wants to do through you, with what God wants to do in your home, you should absolutely expect Satan to show up and say, well, I'm going to try to throw this off. And he's not going to have to work hard to demotivate us. It'd take him like three seconds. You know, so we got to be prepared for that. we got to understand what's happening. Ephesians chapter 6 says, your enemy is not flesh and blood. Okay, well, my mate has flesh and blood. <laughs> my children have flesh and blood. So God's told me, that's not your enemy. Okay, number five, look to God for the exceptions. Okay, now you notice I put the little exceptions in the bunny ears. Okay, the exceptions. What do I mean by that? You know, when we, when we listen to messages like this, we read verses like this about being loving and loving. For some of us in here right now, it's like, yeah, yeah, but you don't, you don't know my situation. And, and we're sitting here thinking, yeah, this would all be fine and good 17 years ago. This would all be fine and good except in, because there is, and I'll use the word, I don't know why I use it. There's some high crime in our house. There's, there's adultery. There's abuse. There's, there's addiction. There's something just super heavy, super big. And so we see that and say, okay, this would, hey, that's all fine, you know, if you're starting from zero, but that's not going to work here. You know what? That makes total sense until you realize it makes no sense at all. Are, are, are we suggesting that because a high crime has been committed in our home, against our home, that now God's, God's purpose for me is no longer to learn how to love? God's purpose for me is now no longer to be holy. Well, I didn't know that was going to happen to you, Randy. Listen, all bets are off with you. you I, I don't care what you do. If you can just get to heaven and survive, we'll work it out from there. No, God, God's not changing his course. God's not changing his purposes in and for my life. Nothing. I'm still to learn to love. I'm still to learn to be holy. Now, granted, if you've got some of these high crimes in the home, yeah, makes it very just takes all the fun out of it, doesn't it? Makes it very heavy, makes it very difficult. You really do. You're, I mean, listen, in all situations, but yes, you got to cling to God. And you're going to really need his wisdom to work that out. I think sometimes when people hear a message like this and say, yeah, but. I, I think part of that is because we have been more developed by culture's definition of love than a biblical definition of love. 
And so we've got this idea that love just means you just smile and say yes. You just smile and go along. And love just means I continue to let them uh, abuse. Listen, and when I open scripture and I look at God perfectly loving, love says no. Love says stop. Love draws lines. Love says, hey, there's consequences for that. I love you. You can be forgiven, but there are consequences for that. So see, again, I got to keep going back to God's word and understanding what do these words look like, not from what the world says, but what the scripture says about these words. But folks, because of the sin of somebody else in my home, that doesn't change what God's goal for me is. As a matter of fact, that may be my best opportunity to love like God. So now I hope last week's message, this week's message, it's starting to come together and make a little sense what I mean by when I say the goal of your home is not for you to be loved. Oh my gosh, I want you to be loved. Yes, that's a right and a good expectation. And when you and I walk in there, listen, if everybody in the home is on page with this purpose, that's just really cool, right? That's just going to be a lot of fun. It's just a whole lot easier when everybody's doing the same thing and on, is on target with this purpose. But there's usually somebody that's throwing a kink in the process, right? And, and really, truly, haven't we all thrown a kink in the process at some point? Haven't, haven't we all? I mean, I have. I mean, hey, listen, my, my wife's job, her, her purpose in the home is to learn to love like God. I know there's some days I've made that very difficult, her fill God's purpose in her life. Yeah, we've all been a kink in the process. So understand, the kink, that just may be your best opportunity that week to love like God. To do what he would do in that moment. That's, yeah. Don't want to do this. Wouldn't be my preference. That's the practice field this week. That's where I'm going to love like God loves. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us even though we have continually and constantly been a kink in the process. You are a perfect father and we are very imperfect children. And I thank you that in you we see what it looks like to love unconditionally, forgive unconditionally, serve unconditionally. And where, that's, where that unconditional love says no, and where that unconditional love says stop, God, your, your love is amazing. What a high and lofty reason to be alive. What a high and lofty reason to live, to learn to love like you. And God, maybe some of us need to get to the place where we say, God, thank you for trapping me in the home. If I just had to love enemies, I, I just would quit as soon as it's demotivating. If it's just strangers, it's just easy to walk away. If it, people at work, easy to get in the car and go home. But here's a group of people you've kind of tied me to day in and day out. I got to work at this. God, I, I pray that's our understanding. I pray that becomes our motivation. I, I pray our purpose starts lining up with what your purpose is. It's in Jesus' name we ask for your help in this. Amen. Amen.